Today on Ag News Daily. But we, at some point, will be selling the grain and then turning that into to, uh, cash, of course, and then donating to the charities, which are the UN Crisis Relief's Ukraine Humanitarian Fund, the World Vision Ukraine Appeal, the World to Re- Rebuild Ukraine Program, and Oxfam International as well. This episode is brought to you by Red Summit Advisors and farmingtheweb.ca. Create your first listing today and receive a $15 Tim Hortons gift card. Good morning, Ag News Daily listeners. It's a beautiful Wednesday morning here in the Pacific Northwest, joined by Tanner in the Midwest. How's the weather there? The same, brisk. It's a fall fall day. We uh, It's the weather that I look for, sitting at 40 degrees, sun is shining. And I think harvest is back in process with, you know, one rain day yesterday. Maybe some people will take the morning off today, but everything else is doing quite well. It's always fun to have you on, Cassidy. Thank you, Tanner. I'm always excited to be on. We are missing the rain today, too, just a little bit. So that's some great news for the fires burning around us. But great news for me, who's not quite used to the constant rain. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'll start off. I got quite a bit of water news. It looks like. The conditions along the inland waterway system continues to be very concerning. The uh, garden hose attached to a fire hydrant really seems to be the right metaphor to use. Uh, Farmers are continuing to harvest a strong crop, but the inland waterways are low, especially the Mississippi River that we've been talking about, Cassidy. It does not currently possess the normal capacity to accommodate the flow of grain. What this is doing is it's causing barge companies to load barges 5,000 bushels less for every foot of water that it sinks. So if it's two or three feet below the normal levels, that's 10 to 15,000 fewer bushels per barge that are able to travel down the Mississippi. Normally, they connect 35 to 40 barges together for a trip but now they are containing a maximum of 25 barges. So this is potentially going to cause some issues. Reports right now are barge traffic already costs 130% compared to the same time period in 2021. But what the historic drought is doing is surfacing a lot of archeological findings along the Mississippi River. So whether they are different stones, Indian artifacts, body parts and bones, uh, some sunken ships. The archaeological community is definitely spending a lot of time on the river now since it's at historic lows to go and identify those items, Cassidy. Well, Tanner, that is a silver lining there. All of the things that the archaeological community is getting to discover. Speaking of water, I mentioned a little bit in my intro about the rain we have been getting But this rain has come at a very needed time for the Pacific Northwest as a drought is actually hit here as well. This rainy season has started a lot later than usual. And this is this rain that did come over the weekend and the beginning of this week actually came after our air quality got to such a high level that Seattle actually clocked the worst air quality in the world on Thursday. That's worse than Delhi and Beijing because the smoke was so thick. So the rain that came has helped with our fires, but we still have 11 active fires burning in Washington and the rain has stopped for the next two days. So we're hoping that they don't get worse over those next two days. Yeah, that's not good news. I didn't know what direction you were headed with that story. And uh, hopefully things 
clear up <clears throat> out in your neck of the woods. There is a new partnership forming uh, as a part of the Ogallala Aquifer. So hauling river water across Kansas is a demonstration to see if the Missouri River could be tapped to help with the declining Ogallala Aquifer by trucking 6,000 gallons, roughly 400 miles to parts of Kansas and Colorado. This is just a demonstration, Cassidy. This is a proof of concept. They wanted to uh, make sure the permitting process was available. So the Kansas Water District is partnering with the Central Colorado Water Conservancy District to uh, see what they can do to recharge a couple of small areas. So what they're looking at doing is making sure that they appropriately can get the permits from the Kansas Division of Water and Resources, from the DNR, from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and the Missouri River for Kansas. So uh, the goal is to show that the process can be completed by getting permission to take water out of the river truck it, which is not the most economical, but for the concept is practical. And then if this continues to be successful, they will look at other options such as pipelines or inferral or uh, aqueducts that could take place of the truckload. So it's not the truckload of water by itself. That's not the point. Rude said that it's going to be a process that will set a precedence for how things could be handled in the future. So we're taking another look at ways to refill the Ogallala aquifer. Very interesting story there, Tanner. Thank you for covering that. And sending things back to your neck of the woods, I have some news from Iowa that a new weed has been discovered in an Iowa soybean field. Asian copper leaf, which was last found in the state in 2016 in a cornfield, has now been found again in a soybean field. The good thing is that this is not considered a threat, according to U.S. Federal Noxious Weed Act. However, USDA APHIS report states that the plant has potential to be harmful to row crops. So they are studying this plant and seeing, trying to find out where it came from and how common it might get in the Midwest. Yeah, I had seen inclinations of that article. So something again for us to continue to watch. But sticking on the Iowa side of things, three Florida men have been arrested for allegedly stealing $9 million worth of frozen meat across Midwestern United States, including Iowa. Three gentlemen from the Miami area are facing charges of money laundering and transportation of stolen goods, according to Homeland Security. The trio of masterminds began as the Florida-based company, a highly sophisticated organized criminal ring targeting beef and pork packaging plants in the U.S. The investigations of multi-million dollar theft ring began in June, started in Lancaster County, Nebraska, where more than a million dollars of frozen beef was loaded onto trucks and disappeared. The Lancaster County Sheriff's Office worked with HSI in Omaha. Then again, they connected it to 45 other thefts that were included across Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota, and Wisconsin to get to that nine million dollars in figures. They did recover three of the tractor trailers with $550,000 worth of the, the merchandise inside on October 20th, but now they will be continuing their investigation. It is ongoing and we will keep our ears and eyes peeled for more updates in regards to that story and what their punishment might be. Well, Tanner, for our listeners who are looking to not steal things, but 
ethically buy them? Are you looking to quickly and efficiently buy or sell agriculture products or get the word out about your ag event? Avoid the headaches of using non-ag marketplaces or classified sites and check out farmingtheweb.ca. Canada's best free classified site designed by and for Canadian farmers. One of the most professional transitions into an ad I have ever heard. (laughs) Thank you, Tanner. You set me up for it. I was proud. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. What other news do you have? Uh, Sending things globally, I have some news from Zimbabwe. It looks like Zimbabwe is set to have their biggest wheat yield ever this season. Instead of cowering in the face of not having imports from Ukraine, they have stepped up their game and increased their yield this year by a predicted 80,000 tons of wheat, which is 20,000 more than is required by the country. They're using this time to build their stockpile and increase their yields an amount to eventually be an exporter of the crop. There you go. I hadn't seen that headline. I appreciate you for sharing that. I was starting to dive into this article today uh, of Iowa soy processor that filed for bankruptcy. Non-GMO soybean company known as Global Processing lost its licenses in both Iowa and Nebraska. The Iowa-based processor filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which caused them to lose their license. They were partnered up with the Missouri Soybean Merchandising Council to market high awake soybeans four farmers in Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Missouri, and Nebraska. They also had just announced earlier this year they were looking to buy a processing facility in Hope, Minnesota. So a lot of balls in the air here, but the bankruptcy filing states that it had estimated assets and liabilities ranging from 10 to 50 million. The attorney general for uh, the area states that they will begin to take a look at a way to restructure the debts or potentially look for a buyout. It was ordered by the bankruptcy court in Delaware to pay Pipeline Foods $1.6 million for 1,000 metric tons of organic soybeans. David Wilcox is listed as the president on the bankruptcy filing. He has pleaded guilty in the U.S. District Courts of Minnesota for making false statements on an SBA, Small Business Administration Loan Application. So it sounds like, Cassidy, this is one of a small headline of a big mess that we will have to continue watching as far as that goes. Yes, Tanner, and I trust that you'll keep our listeners updated on that mess. But before we jump into markets, unless you have other stories to cover, let's hear a message from our other sponsor. Hey, this is Ann over at the BLM. With this drought, we're going to need to cut that permit two weeks early. We sure want those calves, but they'll be coming in light, so we'll need to negotiate. Hey, this is your Red Summit Advisors agent. We've got a check in the mail to you now from your PRF policy. Help restore your peace of mind with solutions like pasture, rangeland, and forage insurance. Visit RedSummit.com or call 1-800-825-2355 to talk with a local agent about how PRF insurance could help you stay afloat this year. Well, thanks for that, Castine. The only little headline I've got here is Kubota has looked at boosting their production for 2023. It said your dealers were concerned about supply, making sure they had enough inventory, both for parts and equipment. And Kubota states that they are looking at a $1.2 billion investment in the U.S. to boost their capacities. But as we look into the markets here on October 26th, sitting about 10 o'clock in the morning, 
December corn is up a penny and a quarter at 687.40. Soybeans are up 12.40 for the day, up to 13.94 for the November contract. Wheat is sitting at 839.20, up four and a half. But as we dive into the livestock thing, continuing, no longer riding the bull changes that we've had, staying pretty flat for today. Down just three cents in the October live cattle contract to 151 and an eighth. December is 153 and a quarter, down just seven cents. Feeder cattle is mixed, but mostly flat with the October contract at 176 and a half, November at 178 and an eighth. Lean hogs for December and February, both in the green. December contract up 17 cents to 88.62. February is at 91.10, up 42 cents on the lean hog side. So that is the market wrap up for today, Cassidy. What do you say? Should we get into the conversation with our interview today? Yes, sir. Let's kick it over to Colin Bettles, our friend from Down Under, the grain producers of Australia. We are taking things Away far across the pond today to chat with Colin Bettles, CEO of Grain Producers of Australia. Colin, thank you so much for joining us today. Certainly excited to chat with you. My pleasure and uh, always good to help our uh, cousins from uh, across the ocean <laughs> there in, uh, in your part of the world. Hey, I will take that. That sounds like a compliment to me. Uh, Colin, tell us more about the Grain Producers of, of Australia. Well, we are a national advocacy and policy group. We represent Australia's broadacre grain farmers. Uh, we have a unique system in Australia whereby uh, farmers pay a levy. Uh, it's a little bit like your checkoff system there in the US, but uh, about 1% of the grain check goes towards research and development and extension activities, uh, and they're funded with co-government um, or taxpayer dollars through the Grains Research and Development Corporation and also money goes towards the um, uh, biosecurity through Plant Health Australia, where we represent Australia's broadacre grain farmers in that process as well, and um, MRL monitoring through the National Residue Survey as well. So their industry good functions, and through those levies, other things have sprung out of that that benefit grain farmers, such as uh, Grains Australia, which is getting involved in grain quality assessment and market access issues, which are pre-competitive. Now, there's a lot more that we do outside of that. Uh, we're a not-for-profit and we're represented by uh, grower board members um, based in Australia's major grain-producing regions. And we've got a policy council made up of state farming group uh, grain councils and their leaders. And uh, so any issues that are concerning growers, like at the moment, of course, probably similarly, similar to you over there, uh, input prices are really of concern and um, supply chain efficiencies uh, farm labour. So we, we advocate on those key issues for growers through our policy council processes. So a majority of our listeners are here in the United States and experiencing harvest season. And a lot of the crops that are being harvested now, since wheat is pretty much wrapped up, is corn and soybeans. So for some perspective, what kind of grains are grown there in your area of Australia? And uh, what season are you guys in right now? Look, wheat's the major uh, broadacre commodity and uh, canola is very popular at the moment, obviously with the prices being very high and barley. So they're the three main ones, but also there is, uh, you know, the chickpeas um, and oats and a lot of other grains that come through the farming rotations. 
And of course, people who produce grain also, uh, a large uh, percentage of them are also producing livestock as well and essentially running farming systems. And I suppose Australia is a, a big country like you over there. So we've got different soils in different states uh, and different marketing opportunities. Um, there's a, a large domestic market on the east coast of Australia, which is where Sydney and Melbourne are basically. So New South Wales, Victoria, and uh, South Australia and Queensland, and uh, they a lot of that grain goes into livestock or the domestic market for flour milling and other purposes. And in West Australia, for example, um, they're uh, they're about 90, 95% export focused, and a lot of that grain goes up into to Asia as well, and some pretty close markets there logistically. So, Colin, really, kind of the bulk of today's discussion is. Largely, we wanted it to be centered around this new initiative that you guys are working on there at uh, your organization, hashtag Grain for Ukraine initiative. Tell us, how did this idea come to be and what is it? Well, as you know, there's a lot of farmer um, chatter and and conversation on social media and and Twitter as well. And, uh, um, you know, you get a lot out of watching some of the conversations about some of the pragmatic um, ideas and and innovation that's going on on farm or farmers sharing images of what they're doing at harvest or seeding. And one of our, James Stacey, who's quite prominent here in Australia on Twitter, uh, he raised a question at the start of the year when the war broke out in Ukraine about how uh, we could help um, our farming cousins in the Ukraine or rural communities with a bit of support. So um, a few other farmers uh, got on board um, with James through Grain Produce Australia, um, who and David Forward and Brad Jones and Simon Walwalk uh, from Western Australia. Um, and Brad and David have some ties to the Ukraine through their Nuffield scholarships. They've been on research, research tours and Nuffield tours to the Ukraine. So they have strong affiliations and they were highly motivated to get on board and make a difference. And um, Andrew Whitelaw is the other member of the subcommittee who's a, um, a, a well-known market analyst here in Australia. So. Uh, they approached uh, me at GPA and we just set up a very simple process, essentially, where we announced that we would be doing it. Um, and we took some advice from a couple of retired ADF um, high-ranking officers, actually, who'd worked on our Harvest Assist program last year when we are short on farm labour because of COVID. And um, they uh, gave us some good strategic advice to that it was okay to raise uh, the funds and then direct them towards charities where they would provide some long-term humanitarian support so and providing that moral support at um, seeding time as well where uh, the growers involved in our in our group and others put Ukrainian flags out on their seeding machinery so the advice we had was that moral support was just as important um, as raising the funds as well so that the Ukrainians knew that we were there and supporting them and I think those messages have got through and so the second leg was to announce the charities that we've decided to put the money towards, which we've done this week uh, with a bit more media. So hopefully the challenge now uh, or the opportunity is for people to donate grain. I guess when we started this, grain prices were really high, as were input prices. So we've had some late season rain here, which on the East Coast in particular is causing a fair bit of concern. And most growers are keeping a pretty close eye on that. And, and the impact that it's had on their paddocks. In fact, it's so wet they can't, in many areas, get out to assess the damage as yet. Um, but we hope, uh, you know, the public comes out to support Australia's farmers when we're in drought and doing it tough due to seasonal fluctuations and Mother Nature's intervention. So we're hoping that, um, you know, 
people see um, that a donation even of one tonne of grain will make a difference to what we're doing. So it's just showing exactly what the world of agriculture is around the world. We've experienced local opportunities here in the United States, and it's fun to see the terminology, like you said, our cousins across the across the pond also working to give back and just all men together because we all know what everybody is experiencing. We may not be going it through it with them, but we know that we're here to support them. Is this something that you guys see continuing on until it's not needed? Or how, or how do you know when it's done enough? Well, that's a great question. I, I guess a, a lot of people at the start didn't think that the war would be dragging out this long, but we've seen real strength of resistance from the people in the Ukraine. So, and I, I guess that's contributed to it as well as the stubbornness of, of Russia. But I guess um, if people see fit to continue donating grain, then the process is open. But we, at some point, will be selling the grain and then turning that into to, uh, cash, of course, and then donating to the charities, which are the UN Crisis Reliefs, Ukraine Humanitarian Fund, the World Vision Ukraine Appeal, the World to Re Rebuild Ukraine Program, and Oxfam International as well. And as an aside, um, the three subcommittee members also met with the Ukrainian ambassador in Perth last week, Vasil. We'll just call him Vasil because his last name's a bit beyond my capability. Um, okay. And we also got strong encouragement and support and gratitude from him for the work that we're doing. But I think every little bit helps. And if uh, if we can maintain that opportunity for people to provide their support, then we'll continue to provide that facility. So, Colin, as you guys look to future initiatives, I know you got a lot going on there, it looks like, with other programs and things that you're doing to help um, Australian farmers. What's coming down the pipeline here? Oh, well, we, we've we um, supply chain's been a, a big issue. There's been a lot of grain produced in Australia the last three years, and we've had the challenges of two of those years being COVID. So the supply chain capacity has been stretched a fair bit with um, the shortage of train drivers and truck drivers, getting the grain to ports being the big challenge. But we're, we're getting a lot of mixed messages there in terms of the global shortage of grain and the demand for Australian grain and the quality of grain and pricing. So we're really just pushing for some work there to work with other stakeholders to uh, identify the clear pinch points in our supply chain and improve those efficiencies and, and work together to get that um, public and private support behind it because we think those uh, those sort of initiatives put dollars in, in growers' pockets and that's what GPA is all about. Now, Chairman Barry Large, he's a, a farmer in Western Australia and uh, he's very focused on those particular outcomes, but biosecurity has also become a, a, a big issue here in Australia or, or one that certainly the public and government are more focused on um, helping to provide some solutions. So we're very much engaged in that process. And again, pushing government and other stakeholders to create better efficiencies and, and strengthen our biosecurity protections because um, a bit like COVID, um, we don't want to wait until it's too late before we know what we need to do to fix. This is a fun interview for me, and I hope our listeners are thinking the same thing. Since you've got their ears and their attention, is there anything else that you'd like to share about your organization and agriculture in Australia before we look for some contact information? Well, I just think it's it's fantastic that there's a lot of empathy between farmers uh, all across the world. I know we compete in grain markets and the US produces a lot of grain and 
you've had a, a couple of tough years as well with with a bit of drought over there. So I think we'd be interested to hear a little bit uh, about how how you've been going. Um, but look, like I said, Grain Producer Australia, we we focus on solving those problems in the paddock that make a difference to growers and and working with others across our industry and through government to to identify those problems and come up with solutions where we can. And I guess you have similar groups over there in the US as well, National Wheat Growers Association and others like the US Wheat Associates who I've met with in the past and found very um, uh, informative groups to talk to. And uh, there's always something you could share. I think if you're farming somewhere in the world, you're dealing with similar challenges, Mother Nature and and uh, and all of that that goes with that. Um, the vagaries of markets and I think it brings people together um, and you have some fantastic conversations about about those issues. Well, Colin, before we let you go, let's get a little bit more information really quick here about contact information and how farmers can follow along with the Grain with Ukraine initiative. Essentially, we have a, a card set up in the National Grower Register system, which is commonly used here by growers to update their uh, contact and payment details. So it's pretty simple. The NGR card is uh, 1500-4442, um, and that's registered to Grain Produce Australia, GPA. So when someone turns up at the, the grain bin and they want to donate a bit of excess grain, if they've got a half a tonne or a tonne or two tonnes spare, then they just cite that number, 1500-4442, and, uh, and if they're stuck or forget the number, then they can easily get onto the GPA website and the information's right there. And also follow us on Twitter. Awesome. That is fantastic. And the website is grainproducers.com.au for you listeners here in the US. We really appreciate you jumping on the podcast with us and sharing a little bit about what's going on over there in Australia. Thank you again. It's my pleasure. And just hopefully you can understand what I've been saying because of my accent. <laughs> it's a it's a good one we appreciate it it's fun my pleasure thanks for having us on well that was a fun conversation i had the privilege Cassidy, on the farm for profit podcast to talk to an australian farmer on monday so it's good to continue to keep an eye on things with our friends and farmers outside of our borders as well as those here locally Yes, Tanner, it's always fun to get the global perspective on ag as well as our national perspective here in the United States. Listeners, if you're enjoying these conversations, be sure to like and follow us on social media, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to us wherever you listen. Yeah, that's great. But what do you say for today? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 